welcome to episode 30 of the Badland Girls. I'm Destiny. And I'm Rhea. 30! 30! Woo! We relaunched this podcast and we're already at 30 episodes. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. I'm proud of us. Me too. I'm proud of us too. Yeah. How are you, Rhea? Oh, well, I had a kidney stone on Thursday and had to go to emergency. So that was fun. And then... I noticed Thor had a loose tooth and I thought it was going to be simple. And then the doctor looked at him and said his whole mouth is rotten. So he has to go in in February and get multiple teeth pulled. And yeah, I, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just surviving, I guess. (laughs) Sometimes that's all you can do. Like life gets rough and you just kind of have to get through it. I'm real sorry to hear that. Uh, It's okay. I had a rough spot this morning. That kidney stone was moving around and causing me la pain, but I'm doing. Have you not passed it yet? No. Oh no, (laughs) Maria, that shit hurts. I hear it does. It hurts really bad, but like the excruciating pain is gone, and uh, it's just uh, more uncomfortable. I just had a weird uncomfortable moment this morning, and uh, I need to drink more water and. Just flush it out. And I have pain pills and stuff, so I'm surviving. I have a cold, so. Oh, no. I've, I've been muting to cough. I've been sick for a few few days now. Pretty much most of the week. Is it just a regular um, cold? It's a cold, I'm pretty sure. Because my roommate got COVID tested when they started having symptoms and the test came back negative. Mm. And so I think I caught whatever they had. And then my other roommate is now really sick. So we're just, you know, a family that coughs together. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. It's just, it's just something you got to get through. I'm glad I'm, it's not anything more serious. It's That's just, true. It's no fun. It's yeah. just no fun. I get it. I get it. But yeah, that's been my week. And then, oh, I wrote my grad school entry essay and I'm stressing out about that because I feel like it's not very good, but I've had a friend read it and she was like, it's great. And I'm like, I don't know. And then so I sent it to a few more people (laughs) waiting to hear back. And I'm like, oh, yes, you will hear back from me today. Just got distracted by shit. Oh, no, there's no rush. Like my deadline is. Well, my personal deadline is February 1st. The actual deadline is February 14th. Oh. Uh, so, But still, I like I can... your personal deadline. And I will make sure I have it back to you by your personal deadline. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate your help. Because, yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm trying to get into a clinical mental health counseling program. And I don't have the academic chops to say, like, I've studied social work and psychology. Because, no, when I was an undergrad, I thought I was going to be an English teacher Hmm. and wasted a lot of time. So I have to pretty much sell myself on, hey, I'm focused now, and I have work ethic that I didn't have when I was in my 20s. And um, also, I have amazing interpersonal skills, and I'm really passionate about this, and I kind of have to sell myself on that. Honestly, I... I feel like in these kinds of things, I actually think that you are on a stronger foundation than other people because 
if if they're worth their salt, they're going to be looking for a diverse background. You don't want all from the same fucking background. That's kind of what I was hoping. I'm really glad you said that because it gives me hope. So light a candle for me, audience, because <laughs> I, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. But once I get all that stuff together, that's the journey I'll be going on. And I'm, I'm not really looking forward to working and being in grad school at the same time. But I really am looking forward to going to grad school. Mm. So it'll be interesting. Would it be an online or would you actually have to go in to a classroom? The classes are online, but then there's a part called a residency where you have to meet with people and actually counsel people. Mm. And I think that part's in person, but I'll be careful. Yeah, yeah. Just do the best you can. I'm rooting for you. And please keep us posted on your uh, grad school uh, journey because this is very exciting. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I'm super hyped. Like, I haven't been in school in so long, and the idea of going back makes me so happy. Last night I was in bed, and I was thinking about it, and I was like, I get to get new notebooks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, the Badland girl joys. The little things. It's It's the little things. It is the little things. I get it. Oh, boy. Do you want to get into our regulars? Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. What was the last movie you watched? The last movie I watched was not very good. It was Kong Skull Island. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Is that the one with Brie Larson? Yeah, I didn't like it. I thought it didn't make sense. Like, they had an ensemble, but they didn't give everybody enough screen time or, like, interesting things to do. So it was like, why are half these people here? Why is this set after the Vietnam War? Why are all the emotional beats like, okay, there's all these emotional beats with the John C. Riley character, but the emotional payoff is in the end credits. Like what? <laughs> and then I found out this guy that directed this movie is doing the Metal Gear film and the Gundam film. And I'm just like, oh, those are going to be bad. Two things <laughs> that I could be excited for. Uh, um, oh no. I just didn't, I just didn't like it. Kong looked great. Yeah, he did look great, especially considering that they, uh, you know, had to kind of put him on the same scale as Godzilla because of that eventual movie that came out. Well, he's a baby Kong in this movie. Yeah, he's smaller than he ends up becoming. But uh, I I enjoyed it, (laughs) but it's definitely not my favorite of the new Godzillas. Let's just put it that way. Mostly because Godzilla's not in it. Yeah, Godzilla needs to be in it for it to be a good Godzilla movie in my opinion exactly but as a Kong movie I just wasn't feeling this very much Mm. uh what was the last movie you watched uh I haven't been watching very many movies so I would like to talk about a movie we watched a while ago uh the French Dispatch oh yeah this movie was so good yeah I loved it Wes Anderson film yes uh Uh, there's oh go ahead sorry no go ahead go ahead I was just going to say, this is a movie with so many moving parts as far as, like, the set pieces and the techniques being used to, like, put everything on screen that I feel like I need to rewatch it because there was stuff I missed. Yeah. I watched it twice already, and it's definitely a very layered film, but almost in a very subtle way. Well, the story is so straightforward that you don't think you're getting that kind of movie, but visually it's like, whoa. Yeah. So there's like uh, spoilers for the French Dispatch. So 
it's basically going through three uh, features in the last issue of the French Dispatch, which is a Sunday kind of culture magazine that is the French arm of a Iowan newspaper, Kansas newspaper, sorry, not Iowa. And in each story, there's this thing where you see them actually in the time writing the story and then after the magazine and talking about the story in various different media formats. It's, it's very interesting. And all of the reporters and writers in the film, the three major ones, are based off, you know, very significant contributors to The New Yorker. And the whole movie is just a love letter to a certain era of The New Yorker. There's a lot of um, uh, inspired by stage kind of setting in the film. And I just really liked it. I thought it was really fun and, and clever and really, really cool. Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah. I really liked all the acting and all the like clever sequences. And there's a great animation bit in this film. And uh, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. So it's a nice surprise. And all the Wes Anderson players are there and all their great glory and doing a great job. I, I was really uh, smitten with Frances McDormand in this. Yeah. Um, which I think this is her first Wes Anderson movie. I don't recall her being in any of his others, but I could be way off. Was she a voice in one of the animated ones? I have no, I have no idea. She might have been in Isle of Dogs. Okay, okay. Because, yeah, I might be wrong. Because those are the only two I haven't seen at this point. Yeah. And I'm going to remedy that pretty soon. But, yeah, great movie. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in this movie, there's a character who plays a younger version of an artist who's played by Benicio del Toro. And uh, when he ages, the actor just walks into the shot, (laughs) shakes the hand of the actor that plays him as a younger man, and then just switches places with him. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. (laughs) I thought that was so cool. I I think about that shot all the time. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. It's full of great people. Uh, I recommend it, and yeah. I'm sure Rhea does too. I also recommend it. <laughs> have you been watching any TV or anything? Yeah, I have been watching. I have gotten into the show called uh, The Goes Wrong Show, which is a British um, uh, television show about a group of actors who put on a weekly play and everything goes wrong from the sets falling apart to actors not remembering their lines to to just it's so funny and a lot of it is based on physical and kind of sight gags but there's a lot of really good kind of witty jokes and i i watched the whole everything they had and i nearly died it's so goddamn funny the first season is free with ads on YouTube if anyone wants to check it out. I really, really liked it. It made me laugh. Uh, if you want to start with a good episode without watching the whole thing, even though it's really short, I'd start with the episode called 90 Degrees, where they're filming a a Southern kind of like drama. But unfortunately, the set builders thought that the set, the 90 Degrees was referring to the set angles so there are, you know, they're doing some of the sets are built sideways and upside down. And it's really funny how it plays out. Oh, that is goofy. Yes. That is fun. 
I'll have to look this up. I've never heard of it. Yeah. Is it a uh, new show? Yeah, it's fairly new. Uh, so they the, the group that does the show, um, they start out in 2008 as like an improv group. And then they started doing these kind of like basically sketch plays. And then they... Uh, they were, they got a full, they've been doing a, on stage, they were doing like a full length version of Everything Goes Wrong with Peter Pan and it got licensed by BBC. So they filmed it and then they got another play. They did a Christmas Carol and then they got the television show. And the last one, the second season was filmed during COVID. So it is pretty recent. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Okay. I haven't been watching. The only television I've been watching is Star Trek Voyager, and I am on the final season, <laughs> and I just want to say, in this house, we love and appreciate, well, uh, all but one of us loves and appreciates Neelix, and I just want to put that out there. That's nice. I'm say. Nice. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, my dad had such a weird love-hate relationship with him. He <laughs> hated him in the first few seasons, but then really liked him near the end. Well, and your dad's defense he's not written very well in the first couple of seasons he's just kind of written as this like boring jealous boyfriend character but once they get rid of that plot which they do away with very quickly in season two he becomes like this beautiful support system for all the characters on the bridge crew and i just i love him to death oh but yeah that's the only tv i've been watching i haven't started season five of search party yet and that's on my list and then i have a couple of recommendations from friend of the show tracy mock that i'm gonna try out on hbo max and then this british show you mentioned sounds really intriguing so i have a lot a lot of tv on my list i need to up my game watch more t- i've been saying that for years <laughs> what were, what were tracy's recommendations again i can't remember the leftovers and oh my goodness these were in text message so i don't oh, know okay. if you were here for uh the Leftovers was one show, and then the other show, let me just grab my text messages, because yeah. I can just pull it from there. Uh, it's about a wealthy family behind a mega church. Uh, the oh, righteous the Righteous Gemstones. Gemstones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really want to watch it, because I love John Goodman, even though he was not good in that Kong movie. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I... Uh, I, I do have a list of shows that I'm going to watch, so that'll be probably what I try to give a watch late, uh, pretty soon. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, let's let's get into our jam. Yeah, so now it's time for Aw, Badland, Badland Girl. That's my jam. Destiny, what's your jam? My jam is the song called Human Performance by this band Parquet Quartz which I don't know anything about this band but man can these people write some lyrics I (laughs) was listening to Human Performance and it's a song that uh, just kind of came to me in a fog of Spotify algorithmic recommendations and at first I didn't think anything of it. And then one day I just hyper-focused on the lyrics and it's a song about regret. It's about loss. It's about things messing with you that come from your past. And there's this series of lyrics. Um, I'm just going to read them. That's, that's how I'm going to do. No, it's great. Uh, go, it, go ahead. 
In walks the darkness I pitch without you, asks me do I realize what I've done and who I've done to. Indeed, I do know. It never leaves me, just visits less often. It isn't gone and I won't feel its grip soften without a coffin. And every time I hear that, I just break down. Whoa. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's not going to leave, is it? Whatever it is, it's ailing you, whatever it is, it's going to hurt less, but it's not going to go away. Oh, <laughs> wow. Just, it's heavy, but it's, I don't know. Just it's, it's not even where I am, like, emotionally right now, but the lyrics just bring me to that. It's good. It's good stuff. Healing stuff. It is. Wow. I've heard of them, but I've never listened to them. So I'm going to listen to this and then report back next time. Yeah. We're together. I, why can't I remember the name of the album? Hold on. Let me grab that. Okay. Um, Please do. The album is called. Um, it might be called Human Performance. No. Oh. oh, yeah, it is called Human Performance. It came out in 2016. Okay. For some reason, all the music I've been really getting into lately has all come out in 2016. So I don't know what that's about. <laughs> yeah. What's your jam? Well, listeners, the great Ronnie Spector passed away earlier this month. That's and true. it broke my heart because she was part of one of the coolest uh, girl groups of the 1960s, the Ronettes. And uh, I have been listening to her stuff a lot lately. And I, instead of choosing a Renette song, I decided to choose a song from, uh, that she did in the 80s when she kind of had a little revival. She, was, she did an album with Johnny Ramone, who really loved her. And she was in that uh, Take Me Home Tonight, Be My Little Baby. My little baby. Yeah. So um, this song was from the movie Just One of the Guys. And it's called Tonight You're Mine. And it's just her solo, obviously. And it is such a good song. Just kind of like that 80s kind of synth mixed with her beautiful kind of like 60s vocals. Ugh, I love that song so much. You, can fi- you can't find it anywhere. You have to go on YouTube to, f- to listen to it. Oh, yeah. It's one of those things where you got to like go to the record store and dig it up. Yep, exactly. But it is, right. it is a fave of mine. It's always been a fave of mine. That movie has been in my life since I was a child and I, it plays over the end credits and it's such a good ending song for an 80s movie. It's like up there with, uh, Thompson twins. If you, if I should leave or whatever that song was called, I can't remember now <laughs> from 16 candles. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen this movie. I should remedy that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I like it a lot. Well, it's a lovely song. It's lovely. She is somebody that went through a lot. Yeah, she did. I'm really glad that she came out of it okay. And she had a, like, a interesting, beautiful life aside from all the suffering she endured. Because I feel like when the obits came out, there were a lot of, um, you know, they focused on all the bad stuff that happened. And it's like, she did so many cool things and was a part of so many, like, historical, iconic musical moments. And that's what I choose to remember. Yeah. And she's one of and the, the hair. The hair. The hair. I mean, <laughs> yes. it basically inspired Amy Winehouse's hair. And it did. I just feel like she 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 really kept even up to uh, 
her dying days, she really kept musically active, and I think music from all periods of her life is worth listening to, not just the Ronettes and that song you know from Dirty Dancing. Mm. Yeah, no, there's a whole career there that's worth examining. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Gosh, I can't believe we're moving into February already. I know. I, I'm kind of in denial because, well, one, this was when I set the date to get all my grad school shit in and I'm still not done. So I'm kind of scrambling. <laughs> uh, and two, it's just I'm still in December mentally. Mm, yeah, I feel that. Like, it's still really cold. It's still really like mm, I'm not in a bad place emotionally. Like, I've definitely gotten to a good point with my seasonal depression where it's not dogging me every day, but I'm still just sort of in that space where it's just, it's winter and it's just like, I got to get through it. Mm. Um, so it is, it is kind of weird that February is upon us, but it is the shortest month and maybe March will be, you know, a real positive time and hopefully the weather will be better. Yeah. That's really been dragging me down too. I have a bunch of uh, goals that I want to do for February. Not goals. I I know we said no goals. Uh, But I have a (laughs) lot of little, like little art things that I want to do. And one of the things that I brought up with Destiny was uh, doing a little challenge where it's like, it's a collage challenge. And it's very easy, very, uh, you know, not very high stakes, but just basically making at least one collage a week for every week in February. And I put certain, certain like, uh, uh, challenges for my, yeah. To to kind of, kind of like make sure really just to kind of just make sure that I'm sitting and doing it instead of just sitting there and looking at the page and being like, uh, none of this shit is good enough. I'm just going to rip this out and throw it away. Like I'm going to sit and do it. We're going to do it together. So hopefully that'll keep keep your uh spirit for a high yeah like, yeah there should be no giving up <laughs> yeah exactly and i don't know if destiny wants to do her own challenges but i did set my own for i want to hear what yours are and i was thinking of just using them as well because okay. i'm super curious and i don't really because i don't really put like if i give myself challenges i feel like i won't actually carry through with them okay but if i'm doing them with somebody else i feel like that's more interesting so you can give me your list and maybe you would share it publicly so that like listeners could participate too okay i'll put it on the twitter as well that would be fun and if, and if yeah. you don't follow us on twitter we'll maybe put them on the uh abnormal mapping website so you can follow along yeah maybe and we'll i'll talk make about us an instagram <laughs> Oh, maybe. I we could. I didn't I didn't think about that. Yeah. I didn't even think about that either. Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that, fam. Don't worry. Okay, Rhea's on top of it. I'm like, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so uh like I said, like the challenge is basically just do at least just do one collage a week and then you can do more if you want to. And I made the first week challenge kind of simple just to really get you into it. And the challenge is you can only rip images. You can't cut. So oh, I it's like on- this. Yeah. So it's only torn images that you can use. 
it's a great way to kind of just build like a quick collage and you don't have to get too intricate and think about like, oh, I got to cut this out so meticulously. So the first week is going to be just ripped or torn only. And then for the second week, I have uh, just using body parts. So like arms, legs, eyes, lips, like not a full face, just using body parts in any way I see fit. And then the third week is uh, making sure I include a lot of words or phrases, just making collages out of words and phrases or including them in my collage. I thought that would be kind of fun. Text, just text heavy. Yes. And then the last one is no people. So doing a collage without any people in it and you can kind of interpret that as you wish. If you want to just do no words, you can do more words or just backgrounds. You can do that animals and stuff like that but just no actual people in it i like these these aren't as uh restrictive as i thought they were going to be and you can play those pretty loose yeah i like i like these a lot yeah i wanted to make sure it was loose enough that it didn't feel like you had to scramble to find materials for for each one because the point is like i said just to actually sit down and actually just do it so well, I'm really excited to get started. I might devote, uh, I don't know if I want to use like a new notebook for this. I guess since it's only like, what, five collages, I'll just use my, I don't know if I want to use my big art journal or my small art journal. Like I got to figure out scope here. Yeah, I get you. once I do, it'll be fun. Mm-hmm. I, and I've already got plenty of collage material. It's just a matter of like figuring out what I want to use. Totally. Yeah, this is going to be... I'm really hyped for this. I kind of wish I could start today, but alas, it is still January. Yes, it is the end of January, but it is still January. Maybe I'll do a warm-up collage. Oh, that'd be fun. Just to get excited about it. That that actually sounds fun. Plus, I have, like, two pages left in my small art journal, so maybe that'll be what I devote those to. Cool. Alright, so before we move on to the vegan meat and vegan potatoes of this podcast. <laughs> I have something to talk about. What's up? It's it about, about BTS. <laughs> I got out my karaoke mic so that we could talk about BTS. So I call this Rhea reacts to BTS doing normal ass shit. It warrants the echo in in my mind. Thank you. Thank you. So in this episode of uh, Rhea reacts to BTS doing normal ass shit, they have this uh, channel, which is just behind the scenes videos and they vary in length of like, Oh, here's them behind the scenes doing this one award show, or here's them, you know, backstage doing a puzzle. So the best one came out. It was them eating Chipotle. None of them have had time. Yeah. I don't think any of them had had Chipotle before. They didn't know how to eat the, the bowls, the taco bowls, basically. (laughs) And very cutely Jungkook called it Chicotle because he didn't know what it was. He's like, is it Chicotle? Oh, it's Chipotle. And then them freaking out over how good the Chipotle is. And I also just would like to point out that Jungkook said he loves sour cream and then somebody said, what's sour cream? And he said, it's that sour sauce 
that is uh, the consistency of yogurt. And I'm like, man, I never really thought to describe sour cream like that, but that's totally it. <laughs> so, yes, I will uh, post this on our Twitter because it's obviously very important. But watch this three-minute video of them literally just talking and eating multiple bowls of Chipotle. Or as it is now is forever like, will be known, Chipotle. Is it sponsored by... Like, is it a weird ad? Or no. Or is it just... <laughs> it's not... <laughs> It was a okay, behind the scenes. That makes me feel better. Okay. It was a behind the scenes uh, for when they were in James Corden and they had a break and the lunch that was catered for the staff was ch- Chipotle. <laughs> oh, well, that's fun. Yes. Good for them. Yeah. Like, the first time I had Chipotle, I also really enjoyed it. Like, I had had all those food ingredients before, so it probably wasn't as revelatory for me. Uh, and I'm more of a Qdoba girl, just throwing that out. Yeah, as uh, cute as it was, uh, I hate to say this, but BTS, Qdoba is better. <laughs> and like, I don't know, it's just the, the flavor profiles are very similar, but mm. just some of the ingredients taste better at Qdoba. Just just throwing out my two cents. It's so a good BTS, two cents. BTS, if you're listening, uh, they have a competitor. They're called Qdoba, and they're really good. Yeah. I know BTS is listening. Yes, of course they're listening. They're enamored with me. (laughs) So, okay. Thank you for uh, that little segment. It will not be a regular, but it will pop up from time to time when you least expect it. (laughs) I'm always hype. Whenever there's an audio effect, I'm on board. Um, Yeah, no, this this is great. Uh, I wish... I knew, like, I think there's a Radiohead. I'm thinking about my favorite band now. Uh, <laughs> side project, like Johnny Greenwood and Tom York have like another band called The Smile, and they just released an album. So I'll I'll probably come in maybe next week. I won't do an echo, but I'll I'll, I'll have n- information about how I feel about this album. Oh, cool! Once I track it down. Nice. Uh, so that's exciting. In, in case you were wondering how our favorite bands were doing. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're always wondering, listener. Yeah, you're always sitting there like, I wonder what Rain and Destiny's favorite bands are doing. Yeah. It's okay. We're here to inform you. Yeah, we're here to... We're on it. We're on it. Yeah. So, uh, to move on to our vegan meat and vegan potatoes. Hey, everyone. Rhea here. I just wanted to drop a quick spoiler warning for the entire series of Midnight Mass. Sorry for the crappy audio. I'm still sick, and... I did not have the energy to get out my fancy USB mic. So yes, again, beware ye spoilers after this point for Midnight Mass, the entire series. Enjoy if you've seen it. So recently, Desi and I have really gotten into a horror director and creator named Mike Flanagan. He has been around for a little while. Uh, He did... The Oculus film, which I, you know, Destiny, I'm actually thinking I need to revisit this film now that I like more of his I'm work. Just, I'm going to say it right up front, and this is not nice. His movies are not as good as his television. I've seen. Maybe he just works better in that format. Three of them at this point, And okay. like, I, I think that they have promise. But the writing is just not where I need it to be. Because his television writing is 
just chef's kiss just beautiful stuff and I, I have not seen any of his movies that have hit me on the level as his television yeah and and you know he's working with different people he's you know got it's, it's a different format so yeah like you said but uh i'm just gonna say that up front so i'm waiting for him to release a movie that knocks my socks off the way that uh these fucking shows have yeah so the first show of his that I watched was um, his first show for Netflix, I believe, which was called The Haunting of Hill House, which is an interpret his interpretation of the classic novel, A Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. And he plays pretty fast and loose with the original plot. Um, but to much success, I was deeply moved by that show. And uh, Destiny, what was your first show was the other one, right? Yes, it was um, the, what was the full name? The Haunting of Bly Manor? Yo, yeah, Bly Manor, Bly Manor. Yeah, it's, um, you said the phrase emotionally moving. That's Bly Manor in a nutshell. Like, it's really spooky and it's really sad. And I love a sad ghost story, so. Yeah. Um, And then, uh, recently... He did a show called Midnight Mass, which is just... All of these shows are like a miniseries, by the way. And I haven't watched Bly Manor yet, but Midnight Mass is so fucking good. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about, right? Yes. We're going to talk about Midnight Mass and how you, the listener, need to go watch it straight away because it is phenomenally good. I um, Spoilers ahead. I didn't know... Yeah, spoilers ahead. I did not know what it was about going in. I knew nothing. All I knew about it was it's a Mike Flanagan show. So (laughs) I feel like I was really going on a roller coaster ride compared to some other people who like knew what they were getting into. I went in completely just not knowing. (laughs) So Midnight Mass is about this basically derelict little island town in like the east coast that has been ravaged by a oil spill and is not as populated as it once was and it is yeah it was a fishing village Mm -hmm. and uh the fish don't come in like they used to yeah and they are a strong catholic community (laughs) and uh the the uh one of the um main character for a while <laughs> riley he returns home after being in prison after a uh he killed somebody drunk driving and then a new priest shows up to town father paul and then weird shit starts happening in this town and uh it is just <sighs> It's it's so layered and just really sad and really good and kind of spoopy sometimes. A lot of yeah, the time. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Um, hold on. I'm looking up this actor. The Wait. guy that plays Father Paul, uh, his name's Hamish Linklater. I've never seen him in anything. But now I just want to see him in everything. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> same. He was so good. And, like, Father Paul, 
he, he, you know, he's this mysterious monsignor with a secret. Uh, well, I guess since we're doing spoilers, like, you know, he's just, he's the old monsignor who, uh, finds what he thinks is an angel and, uh, decides to return to the island with it to, uh, you know, reveal the secret to the people through what he thinks is like a religious, uh, awakening. Cause he has this experience in a cave with it and, and it's, it's, it's a vampire is, is what the twist is. It's a yes. vampire, which I did not, I did not know just, <laughs> and they, and they don't, you know, this is revealed slowly throughout the episodes. Um, and, and all the different townspeople are reacting to this, you know, new blood, pre- young blood uh, priest kind of shaking things up and reawakening everyone's faith. Um, I don't know where I was going. Sorry. But basically he does. So he comes in and, you know, the small community of people who are going to church, which is not many people at first. But they, you can tell they feel energized by him, right? And then right. one Sunday, he performs a miracle. The paralyzed teenage girl gets up and starts walking. And then all of a sudden, this, this little town is in the grips of this miracle that's happened before them. And there are people who are naturally skeptical, of course... And then people who are, like, using it to their own advantage. Most notably oh, Bev, yeah. who was, like, the rector, I the guess. The opportunistic. Yeah. yeah she's, she's a school teacher, but she's also, you know, pretty much Monsignor's right-hand man. And then she kind of goes up against the sheriff, who's, who's um, <laughs> named Sharif. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who's this, like, really, uh, like... He's not like anti-Catholic or anything, but he's kind of set up as the antagonist against everything everybody else stands for, just by the nature of being a Muslim American mm-hmm. and uh, being like the only Muslim American at that. Him and his son in this small, small community. Uh, so there's already like this pre-built-in opposition to what's going on. Uh, by the nature of him being the sheriff and not being Catholic. But also, some of the things that, like, Father Paul brings into the community are, like, empathy and, like, like actual, like, beautiful things that, like, heal them miraculously as well. Like, he kind of heals the rift between the uh, families and the like people that are going through some shit, like he brings healing to them as well. So like, even though they aren't at first going to church now, it's like, well, we got to go to church. He like helped, he fixed our shit. And and then we got to see what he's going to do next. And they don't realize they're being taken for a ride. Like his whole plan is to convert them all to vampires in order to, revive the town yeah and they have no idea yeah and he has he's coming from it he's coming from it from an angle of like he really does 
think he's he's doing the most good, which makes him kind of a more it cuts him a more sympathetic figure while also being scary because yes. Like a lot of the things he was doing is like it's motivated by like I'm a good person, I can do this. But then later on when shit hits the fan because of course it does, he kind of realizes his own <laughs> hubris and and kind of accepts where he was wrong. And I think like the great foreshadowing of this is when he's talking to the main character Riley they have an AA session where it's just the two of them having these long conversations. And when Riley discovers the vampire and is turned, basically Father Paul is explaining his whole plan for the town and Riley's saying, you can't do that. And then they he reveals that when Riley was a young child, he came with a dead mouse and asked him to revive it. And then he, he to Riley's child eyes, he did when in actuality, Father Paul went out and looked for a mouse that was exactly the same to give to him. So, I mean, like, you can see the goodness there, but also you can see the problem because he lied. He lied to a kid, but he did it. It's like, it's very problematic. I feel like you really, I, I feel like you really kind of just, you sympathize with him, but you're also kind of scared of him. And I... He's terrifying. Yeah. And then when he's, but it's also interesting because when he's really pitted against Bev near the end, who is like truly, truly, you know, evil, he kind of realizes that he's, he's fucked up beyond control. And uh, like, he should have never even done this in the first place. One of the scariest moments of the show to me is when they have the actual midnight mass for Easter, right? And he basically Mm -hmm. is telling them, you know, that in order to ascend to this new state, they have to kill themselves. Because in the lore of the show, you get a lot of healing benefits from drinking vampire blood. Like it, it made all of them young again, right? One of the, one of the characters was pregnant. It erased her fucking pregnancy. Like it was something that needed to be fixed. Which is awful, <laughs> but... Well, she she wasn't seeing it that way. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the vampire blood was like, we're just going to take this baby. Yeah. And then, <laughs> um, and then there's this terrifying scene where, like, all of the people who have just been blindly following this, this uh, priest and his, and these miracles, they all just willingly drink this poison and the worst one is the girl who who uh, was cured from her paralysis. Just her parents just trying to force this poison on her. And it's just an absolute shit show. <laughs> Good lord. Well, it brings to mind the Jim Jones uh, mass, you know. Yes, mass it does. suicides uh, at Jonestown in Guyana. Uh, so you, you, you already have that in the back of your mind if, if you're like me and you know you know have seen documentaries about this and heard about the awfulness and how it was mostly children and mostly black people and being forced to drink this uh fruit drink that was laced with i believe cyanide so it it puts you in the mind of that definitely uh and then also you've got these characters who you know like sharif his son has like slowly become 
for lack of a better term, brainwashed by all the Catholics around him to realize, well, maybe I don't want to be Muslim and like kind of puts a, it puts a distance between him and him, his, his father and he, and he drinks the poison and it's like, oh, oh, it's so heartbreaking. I know that scene. And then of course yeah. the, it has, I don't want to spoil the ending, even though we're spoiling a lot. Well, might as well, because I just want to talk about it, because it was really meaningful to me. <laughs> but like, you can at talk a, about whatever you want. Yeah. So at a certain point in the, sh- in the, so after, so Father Paul's plan was to have them all drink the poison, right, and then die in the church, and then they'd all come back to life, and he would guide them. That of course does not happen because his old flame shoots him in the head because she's terrified of what fucking happened, and then. The sheriff also is shooting people and has a gun. And then Bev, because the priest is out of commission for a little bit because he got shot in the head and needs to heal from that, basically tells the congregation to fucking go nuts. And they start feeding on all the people who didn't drink the poison. They break out of the church and start feeding on everybody who wasn't at the church. And by the time Father Paul comes to, half of the village is on fire and Bev is creating a nest for all of them to sleep until uh when the sun comes up so that they can go to the mainland and basically wreak havoc and eventually after a series of terrible events uh the people most of the people of the town who are vampires who have killed everyone they realize how terrible they've been they've killed people that mean a lot to them they realize that bev is going to judge people on her own merits because she likes to feel above everyone else. And yeah, they... she's the typical opportunistic, like, self-righteous person. Yeah. And then the rest, when she denies a guy that was turned because she said he never showed up to church, basically the dream is of uh, Father Paul says he will welcome them into his church. And then in a series of more tragic events eventually the whole town kind of basically comes to realizes that the actions they've done and they basically all die when the sun rises, except for two characters, the paralyzed girl and her boyfriend. And like, go ahead. Oh, what were you going to say? I I was was just going to say, I had had friends that didn't like this ending. Why? They were like, well, everybody dies. And it's like, well, what else could happen? Like, really, <laughs> there's nowhere for anyone to go. All the access points to leave the island have been systematically shut down prior to the midnight mass because the idea is they don't want anybody to try to leave. Um, so there's really and the children who end up escaping can like, you know, they're on a boat. So it's like they can go get help. But like there's really nothing else for anyone to do. They kind of all have to accept their loss. And I think it's really beautiful when they kind of come to this piece that they would not have if they weren't already religious. And and that's the thing I like about this is that it isn't condemning religion as much as if it's condemning, like blindly following things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Like if they didn't have that religiosity to begin with, like they wouldn't have accepted their deaths so peacefully. Yeah, and they're all singing a hymn as they're going. And it ends on kind of... So, like, the vampire, uh, his wings were cut. And he's trying to escape the island. 
and you don't actually see if it happens, but you do get a clue in kind of the dour, <laughs> in kind of a bittersweet moment when the two kids are floating away from the island looking at the the flames, and then the girl, Liza, she says, I can't feel my legs. And that's how you know that vampire didn't make it. And it's nope. just kind of like this little... It, it's kind of sad because, of course, she is paralyzed again, but then it also just kind of... It's like a sad... It's like the perfect end note to me of the craziness that happened in the last yeah. episode. Yeah. And the stuff that makes this show really uh, emotionally resonant, I think, is a lot of the discussions people have about death and dying and like how to carry on after death. And uh, that's the stuff that makes it really good. Like none of it has to do with vampires. None of it has to do with like religious tension it's like all this stuff about well you know nobody really knows what happens when we die and i don't know just like all those like speculative conversations that happen and how people are like when they are accepting of each other how they like do it wholeheartedly like that's all the stuff that resonated with me yeah there's a lot of uh long kind of model not monologue well yeah monologues and conversations between the two, uh, Father Paul and Riley, and many of the other, Riley and uh, uh, his girlfriend, and just those kind of, just just the kind of discussions about life and death and faith, and is some of the more beautiful parts of this show. Like I said, Mike Flanagan is really good at crafting, like, really emotionally, emotional horror. I would put it, it was so fitting for him. He was the perfect candidate to take over, to do an adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House, which the original book and, of course, the film have an emotional core to both that deal with heavy issues such as depression, isolation, and stuff like that. And it's definitely a genre of horror films that I really enjoy. And I don't know what else to add to it because the only two movies that I really feel like have that kind of deep emotional core are like the haunting and then uh the innocence which is based off turn of the screw and i'm sure there are others blind manor yeah and i i I like that kind of horror because i just feel like it's a it's fascinating to watch like these philosophical discussions and just kind of like you know kind of like the the grief that surrounds the kind of horrors that you see and I, I really like it. I, I really enjoy his work. He's doing Fall of the House of Usher, which I think is a great choice for him because it's about a weird, weird family. <laughs> and I yeah, think... He's good at families. Yeah. He's good at interpersonal communication. It's like, I don't know, just good. It's good stuff. Good, deep stuff to get into. It is. And I actually think that Midnight Mass is a great kind of like starting point, uh, more than even like Haunting of Hill House, I think. Because I I just, I don't know, there's something about Midnight Mass, the fact that if you can go into it like Destiny did, go into it blind, like, I think that's the best way to do it, because it really just kind of draws you in, and then and then kind of, like, it's, it's fascinating, it's really cool. Yeah, I don't think, if you're listening to this, like, obviously you're not going to go in not knowing anything about it, so we'll put a spoiler alert right at the beginning, so if people want to, like... Uh, watch it before they listen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe like write in, tell us what you thought. Um, yeah. Check out the other two shows. I'm going to watch Hill House because I have not seen that. Blind Manor is like, 
something that I watched last October and just cried my face off. I love a good sad ghost story. It kind of put me in the mind of um, the film Lake Mungo, which is about a death and how it affects his family. And then like, maybe she's come back from the beyond and it's a little Mm -hmm. spooky and uh, just kind of reminded me of that movie. It's a great movie. I believe it's on Shudder now. Um, So check it out if you haven't seen it. Okay. One of my favorites. Um, But yeah, just just good, solid horror. Yes. Um, And it's it's fun to talk about. Yeah. I do. My last thought, my last thing I want to say about uh, Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass is uh, I did think it was hilarious that Be- the last thing Bev saw was Sharif and his son doing their <laughs> prayer the ritual. Prayer. Yes, because yeah. she was such a racist towards, overtly racist towards him. Well, you notice she's the only character that's afraid to die. Yes, she tries to bury herself realizes, in the sand. Yeah. Yep. She realizes that once she dies, she's, you know, been a terrible person this whole time. All the things that she thought we're going to get her into heaven. She undermined them with all of her behaviors and beliefs and everyone else is singing. She's scrambling. She's trying to live. Uh, and, and she doesn't, uh, deserve, (laughs) you know, the peace that comes to everyone else. So it's kind of great. Yeah. Also, uh, just as a warning, uh, there, there is a scene where there's a beach full of dead cats, and it is a long oh, ass yeah. fucking scene. Yeah, if that if animal death bothers you in any way, yeah, you might you might have to kind of shut that episode off early because uh, <laughs> really, yucky. I when we were watching it, it's such a long scene, and it's just like these long wide shots of just all these cats dead on the beach, and all after like, and then they're having like really important conversations, of course, but after like literally 15 minutes of this i was like he paid for all those stuffed cats and god damn it he's gonna use them <laughs> right it's true it doesn't bother me as much because it i don't know that didn't really bother me but if you're like a big animal person i could totally see that being like a huge turn off yeah and for i don't sure. blame you <laughs> yeah i don't blame you either but uh yeah and that has been destiny and ria talk about midnight mass a really good show <laughs> For sure. But uh, that is going to do it for our episode, our 30th episode of Battling Girls Wow. Uh, it's you, been a whirlwind. It has been a whirlwind. But I'm really <laughs> happy that we're doing this show, Destiny. It makes me super happy. And I hope to do 30 more. I hope we can do a buttload more. Yeah. I, I really, uh, I'm liking this. Yes, me too. <laughs> me too. Well... Uh, you can find show information and listen to our show on our hosted network, abnormalmapping.com slash badlandgirls. And you can also find us on your favorite podcatching app like Stitcher and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And you can email us at badlandgirls at gmail.com. Tell us what you think of Midnight Mass if you've watched it. Are you going to watch it now that yeah. we've talked about it? Uh, Send in your favorite haunting song lyrics. I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I'll do that next time just for you, Destiny. And then uh, <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at Badland Girls, and we're on Facebook as well. And you can also check out Destiny on her other podcast, which is Repertory Screenings, also hosted on Abnormal Mapping. And what movie are you going to be watching? Uh, we just recorded our episode about 
three colors blue. Okay. And we are about to watch Schenectady, New York. Oh, I heard good things about that. I saw it in the theater and fucking loved it, but Ooh. I have not seen it since. So I'm really excited to revisit. Cool. Because I have no, I don't remember it at all. I just remember having an experience. <laughs> an experience? Capital A, capital E, <laughs> an experience. Wow. Amazing. Uh and then also, I'm going to be on a new podcast with some of my comic book, comic book, my comic book buddies. It's going to be called uh, Short Box Long Talks, and we will be talking about comic books with Rob Bloom, Matt Haney, Tracy Mock, and myself. Just a bunch of nerds yakking about comics. <laughs> That's Ooh, where it. can that be found? That can be found on Buzzsprout, and we're recording our first episode today, so I'll have more information by the time our next episode comes out. That's really exciting. I'm so hype. I love all the people involved, so Aww. I will be listening to that, even though I have not touched a comic book in probably years. Hey, that's okay. <laughs> I have so many to recommend when you're ready. <laughs> cool. All right, but until next time, always, always pizza, pizza rolls. rolls. <laughs>